guys and gals. Welcome to the Quacks Podcast. So one thing I have had requests for is a women's issues episode. Uh, I think the majority of my audience are women. In fact, when I am in a health food store, the majority of people I talk to for work are women. Natural health is one of those subjects that has a draw to women, maybe even more so than men. Uh, Although when it comes to supplementation for performance, it does tend to skew the other way. So what I did is I put out a couple emails to different OBGYNs and naturopaths, and Dr. Monique Ruberu responded immediately and was very interested. What I really like about her is she is a classically trained OBGYN, but is also open to the natural side of things, things like herbs and supplements. So you really get the best of both worlds with her. Now, in this interview, she talks about something called NAPRO technology, which I mispronounce as NAPR technology. It is N-A-P-R-O, and it sounds like a great system. Uh, It's a system of diagnosis and treatment, and I think more OBGYNs should probably look into it. So I had no idea about it or, you know, many of the other things that Dr. Ribeiro talked about, but I did find the knowledge very interesting, and I think you will too. Enjoy the interview. Dr. Monique Ruberu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am really happy that you're here too. I am amazed. I think this is the fastest I've ever had a podcast interview happen. I I emailed you literally last night and this morning. You're like, let's do it today. I just think that's great. You know, it's one of those things that when you have a moment and the stars align, you just go for it because so often you know, you just get stuck in the midst of doing lots of other things. So I thought, I know he wants to hear about it. Let's just go ahead and tell him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So we're going to talk about women's issues today, but let's get started uh, by just talking a little bit about you. How did you get into medicine? Uh, What are your credentials? What is your practice? uh, What's your main clientele? All that kind of stuff. Sure. So I am a typically trained GYN uh, physician. So I was, I went through medical school and residency, and then my residency was in OBGYN. And I practiced like a normal gynecologist for years. And what I realized while I was practicing was that I honestly wouldn't have wanted the treatments that I gave other people. I was never really a big fan of contraceptives. I didn't like the idea of shutting down my own cycle when it came to addressing GYN issues. But unfortunately, that was all that we were taught as far as dealing with abnormal bleeding or cysts or endometriosis or other typical GYN issues. So ultimately, I was blessed to have found another way of doing things. So NAPR technology is a method of addressing every GYN issue without the use of contraceptives or IVF. And the way it works is you uh, have people chart their cycles, so charting their bleeding patterns, their mucus patterns, and you look at the length of their cycles, the timing between ovulation and their next period. Every single one of those things, you know, even the quality of their bleeding, whether it's brown or red or the heaviness of it, everything means something. So learning how to interpret all of those signs, basically the language of the body, and then being able to understand when to do the appropriate tests for the patient so that you can truly understand what is going on hormonally. 
And it's just been so exciting. I honestly, I, I feel like a detective every time I meet with my patients because you're just really looking for the root cause of every issue and addressing those root causes. So my patients vary. You know, I have patients who come to me just for typical GYN visits. I have patients who come to me because they're dealing with infertility. I have patients who come to me because they're dealing with recurrent miscarriage. I have patients who come to me because they have severe PMS symptoms. And then I have patients who come to me, they're just coming for like an annual visit and they honestly don't realize that there's anything abnormal about their cycles or anything else because they just kind of assume that what they're experiencing is normal. And then when we go through the history, they discover that actually their cycles are off and that they do have symptoms that should be treated before they try and conceive a pregnancy. So it's it's really awesome. It's very uh, it's always a wide range of patients. I see patients from probably the onset of periods at age twelve all the way up to death. So wow, that's really interesting. What I thought about when you were describing that was almost like Chinese medicine, where they'll read your tongue. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And most doctors would, would probably be, you know, they'd say, well, it doesn't matter what your tongue looks like. Some tongues look like this. Some tongues look like that. But a Chinese medical doctor will be able to say, well, you know, your tongue looks a certain way and, and get symptomology from that. So that was kind of what I was reminded of when you were, is, is it kind of similar? So there are certain aspects of neighbor technology, which are similar. And it's interesting because even with studying neighbor technology, what I realized was I'm able to, you know, look at patients' charts or listen to their symptoms and figure out what I think the root cause is likely to be. But typically, NAPRO technology physicians will just stop at that point and say, okay, you have a lack of progesterone, so let's give you progesterone back. But they don't go that level deeper to look for, okay, what is the root cause that's causing the lack of progesterone? And that's where... Chinese herbal medicine and integrative medicine and stuff like mm. that comes into play because they are more looking at, okay, so you have high levels of estrogen or low levels of progesterone. Is it because you have liver toxicity or is it because your gut isn't working properly or is it because you're producing too much of it or is it because you're consuming too much of it? And it's a much more holistic really well-rounded science, and it includes the possibility of acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine as well. So I, I do, I love to include aspects of all of that in my care. Another thing you said that I thought was really interesting was that you started to not want the treatments that, you know, were you were offering to your patients. Do you think a lot of, you know, OBGYNs or just doctors in general are in that position? I honestly don't know because all of the gynecologists that I know, other than the ones that are practicing the way that I practice, seem quite comfortable with what they're doing. You know, they have no problems taking contraceptives themselves. When you ask them, what can you do for this or that, their response is typically, oh, just take a contraceptive. And I think that the reason that they feel that way is because they honestly don't know that anything else is available. And it's what they've always been doing, and it's what the people who taught them have always been doing. And anything that seems unfamiliar, if it's not you know, taught by the institution that governs 
the gynecologist, then it seems a little bit risky. And oftentimes people are risk averse. Hmm. So they don't want to, you know, step outside of the box at all. But when I speak to gynecologists about what I do, they do find it interesting. They're like, oh, wow, that's really cool, you know, that you're actually able to look at the hormones in that way and identify exactly what the luteal phase defect is for this patient and then address it. Um, but there is uh, something about, you know, there are those who really feel comfortable within a crowd and those who feel comfortable stepping outside of the crowd. Definitely. So when you use this Naper technology, are you finding that everybody has different problems or do you find that, you know, women kind of fall into certain broad-based categories of problems that they're dealing with? It's interesting because there are a few different kind of categories of people. You know, there are people that have longer cycles. There are people that have shorter cycles. Typically, the people that have shorter cycles tend to be ones that have lower levels of progesterone. People who have longer cycles tend to have more thyroid dysfunction or polycystic ovarian syndrome. But when I test my patients, I kind of test for everything. I never assume that somebody is just going to fall in to one of those categories because sometimes you'll have blends. Everybody is so different. You know, you have, you're dealing with people from different heritages, different backgrounds, different diets, you know, different stress levels. And it's amazing how different sometimes things can present. But typically when you do as much testing as we typically do, you'll be able to find at least two or three things that you can somehow move the needle and help the person out. Okay. So I spend a lot of time in health food stores um, talking to customers. And one of the most prevalent you know, conditions I, I see is women with thyroid disorders of some kind. Uh, it seems like it is just, I don't know, exploding in popularity. What do you think the cause is behind that and, and how can women treat it? I think there are a lot of different causes, honestly. Like there, a part of it is there is a huge amount of autoimmune illness in our community just throughout the world. And I think the autoimmune issues are partially genetic, but partially because of what's in our environment and what people are eating. And kind of lifestyle and stress. And so that is one aspect of it. A lot of people have thyroid dysfunction because they have developed antibodies against their thyroid and that is attacking their thyroid. Um, then you have people who have just this long family history of thyroid dysfunction and, you know, they might have some issues with um, the ability to process and the ability to cleanse their body of different toxins and whatnot. And those people could have, you know, underlying thyroid disease as well, just because of the genetic component of it. So yeah, it, it's amazing. And what is really interesting is I bet you the women you're running into in the stores that are getting things for their thyroid that is such a small percentage of the people that are actually walking around with thyroid dysfunction because the range when people are tested for thyroid dysfunction is so, so wide. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, the majority of people that have mild thyroid dysfunction have no idea because all of their tests come back normal. And there's even this other type of thyroid system dysfunction 
that all of your tests will come back completely normal, but there's other tests that you can look at, which will show an abnormality. So if I could just run you through it, yeah. typically the brain will produce TSH and that's the hormone that it uses to stimulate the thyroid, right? The thyroid will then produce T4 and T4 is super underactive. It doesn't really do much. So that T4 has to be converted to T3. And the T3 is where the money's at. That's It gets converted in the liver and it gets converted in peripheral tissues. So when you have adequate amounts of T3, then you can have appropriate metabolism. You can have, you know, proper protein production, all of these things that that's how the thyroid will help to run all of the mechanisms of the body. If you're under a huge amount of stress and your cortisol levels go high, then all of a sudden the T4 stops converting to T3 and instead it converts to reverse T3. Ah. Reverse T3 is a complete dud. So reverse T3 goes and it can bind in the same places that the T3 would bind to work. So it prevents the T3 from binding properly and it just sits in those places. So all of your numbers look appropriate if all you're checking is TSH, free T3, free T4. But you don't have the thyroid function because this reverse T3 is sitting there and not letting the functions happen. So unless, like these are the people that show up that are like, oh, I feel so fatigued. I feel so tired. I'm so anxious. My temperature is always super low. I'm always really cold. I feel like I'm hypothyroid, but every thyroid test comes back normal. Those people should have a reverse T3 and total T3 test done. And when they do that, if that ratio of total T3 to reverse T3 is less than 10, then those people need to be checking their pulses and their uh, temperatures to see if their temperatures are persistently low and their pulses are persistently low. And they should be looking at a symptom chart to see if they have all of these symptoms. And if so, they need T3 because what, what sometimes happens is they will go ahead and they'll purchase um, some sort of like natural over-the-counter T4 substitute, like a levothyroxine, because their doctor is not going to write them for levothyroxine because their labs are normal. So they'll go ahead and get it and they'll take it, but it just makes things worse because when they take the T4, it still doesn't get converted to T3. It'll go to reverse T3. So they have to fix the stress issue so that their stress levels go away and they have to give T3 to kind of improve the situation and then slowly wean off of that when the body has figured out what's going on. And so you said what caused this stress or like stress? Okay. I mean, liver, yeah. other, other issues like liver dysfunction. Well, it's all, you know, everything in the body is so interrelated, right? So if you're stressed out and you're creating all of these toxins in your body and stuff as well, it's, there's a very good chance that you're also dealing with some gut health issues. Like, because when you, when you're super stressed, what happens? People tend to end up with diarrhea, with inflammation in their gut. Then they can't absorb the right nutrients that they need. They can't eliminate the right things that they need to eliminate. And quite often there's also liver toxicity as well. 
But typically it's just something like people will have an event that happens or they're not sleeping or they're just in a super stressful situation and their cortisol levels will rise. And it's that cortisol, the cortisol is huge. It oftentimes will pull away from progesterone, but in this case, it will change the way that your T4 is metabolized. Is there anything other than giving somebody T3 that might help, uh, you know, iodine or herbs or other drugs? You know, honestly, I don't know. That's something that I really need to do a little bit more research on. If you give someone iodine, is that going to be enough? I know that giving somebody who's in a very stressful situation an adaptogen like ashwagandha, um, that may help with the cortisol levels and may help the body to deal with stress. Um, but the, the thing that like, whenever I give a supplement or a medication, I like to know, okay, number one, how does this work and how is it going to change things? So I'm always super hesitant to just like, oh, this may work. So let me just go throw that on there because I don't know, you know, what the extra side effects are going to be, how it's going to play into everything else. And I, so I, I hesitate a little bit. Sure. Do you use a lot of supplements or herbs or anything like that in your I practice? I do. Yeah, I do. I use quite a few supplements. Which, uh, what are your favorites? Well, it all depends, right? So if I test somebody and I find that they have low levels of progesterone, then there's like a multitude of different ways that you can give progesterone. So that's probably the biggest one that I give most often. Um, if I have somebody that has super high estrogen levels, I'll probably ask them to try something like DIM, um, because the DIM changes the way the estrogen is metabolized to push it more towards good estrogen rather than bad estrogen. Um, if I have somebody that has endometriosis, I'd probably use N-acetylcysteine. So there's like different supplements that are good for different things. For all women across the board, I'd probably offer them things that will improve the quality of their eggs. So there are certain supplements which are good for that. Um, yeah, so it all depends. It's kind of situational. So you mentioned uh, when we were talking about thyroid diet, you said diet could be one of the reasons that uh, women are having thyroid or autoimmune, you know, disorders. What is your, I mean, is that, do you have specific recommendations on diet or, you know, is that kind of a broad base getting the junk out? Well, I mean, I mean, absolutely. The number one inflammatory thing that people eat constantly uh, for the most part, is sugar. So that's the first thing that I would cut out of anybody's diet. And I'm not saying that you can't ever have anything that's sweet, but I would say when you want something that's sweet, you should eat things like frozen berries or fruits or figs or prunes. Stuff like that can really give you that um, the sensation and the taste that you need to to solve the craving at the moment without messing with the rest of your system. I would also say you need to just cut out all of the preservatives and the fake sugars. Um, I, I'm all about going, you know, as natural as possible. So personally, I like to follow a plant-based diet. And I realize that plant-based diets are not the best for every person. Like if you're super anemic and you can't seem to get enough protein from a plant-based diet, then that's not good for you either. So if you're someone who wants to eat meat, I would say you need to eat meat that is grass-fed and organic, and that goes for meat, dairy, and eggs as well. So that's kind of my favorite diet, but there are definitely, you know, there are people who would say you need to eat according to your blood type. 
I don't know as much about that at the moment, always trying to learn more. Um, there are people who say you should do keto. And I think there are different flavors of keto. Like there are people who do keto and they just think that means you should go out and eat all the meat in sight. <laughs> and then there are people who do keto and they do a much more kind of natural based keto with just the really good fats like avocado and things like that as being the crux of it. Um, I think that's a much better way to go. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. And you mentioned it a couple of times, but let's talk about birth control because this is probably, sure. uh, I don't think you're a super big fan of it from what you've said. Why is that? So birth control pills, whether you're using them to achieve, to avoid pregnancy or to address GYN issues, they literally just cover up the underlying issues. So for instance, let's look at first how birth control is used to address all the GYN problems. So somebody comes in, they have an issue with abnormal bleeding. And so the physician says, oh, no problem. You know, you should just take a birth control pill. By taking that birth control pill, you're absolutely not addressing the underlying issue at all. You're simply trying to shut down the person's natural cycle and put a fake bleeding pattern on top of it so that they feel like they're in a better place. But in reality, the underlying issue continues to fester. And then down the road, when they say they want to have children, then they get off of the birth control and they're left with the exact same issue, if not a worse version of it. And now they're having to deal with that. So that is, that's kind of across the board for all GYN issues. Hmm. Then when it comes to a birth control pill, like to actually avoid pregnancy, when you're using that, there, number one, there's no, you know, guarantee that it's going to work hundred percent of the time because I have delivered birth control pill babies, condom babies, IUD babies, like you name it. And <laughs> <laughs> Number two, it's it comes with so many you know side effects and symptoms and this and that that I think you could very well avoid. And it doesn't always you know shut down the ovulation. So it's it's thought to shut down the ovulation, but people absolutely have breakthrough ovulation. And its backup mechanism of action for all the hormonal contraceptives is to thin the inner lining of the uterus. So, if you are having, you know, a super thin lining of the uterus and you have breakthrough ovulation, then you're still releasing that egg. But if a pregnancy does occur, then that pregnancy can't implant. And most people that I encounter, you know, their intention is to avoid pregnancy, but their intention isn't to have a miscarriage. And so when that happens, and if they do create an embryo and that embryo can't implant, what they see is, oh gosh, typically I have spotting, 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 spotting. And this month I had a really heavy period and it was just a little bit later than normal. And I don't know what happened. There's a possibility they could have miscarried in that month and not even realized it. Wow. That so I think, awful. yeah. And I think most people have no idea that that's even a possibility. And especially with IUDs, IUDs aren't shutting down ovulation at all. They're just making that inner lining inhospitable. So it's it's a really tricky thing when you really look at how they work. So my preference is if you're going to be sexually active, that you actually understand what's going on in your cycle and you will know when you're fertile and when you're not fertile. And when, if you're trying, you know, if you're married, you're trying to avoid pregnancy, you're trying to space out pregnancies, then you can choose to abstain from 
inter, from intercourse during the times that you're fertile and just have intercourse outside of that time. And it's like you're giving up, you know, five days out of the month uh, in order to do this. Um, and I think that those five days are actually really good for the relationship because it helps a couple to really understand how to show love to one another outside of sexual intercourse, which is a really important skill. So if somebody has to take a birth control pill, are there some that might be better than others, you know, a progesterone versus an estrogen? No, I would not recommend any of them, honestly. Like I, I don't, I don't think there's any reason that anybody has to take a birth control pill. It's just a a choice that they want to take a birth control pill. So if they want to take a birth control pill, they're all, they're all pretty bad. They all do the same thing. They all have that same backup mechanism of action and they all have similar, you know, success or failure rates. Okay. So you mentioned fertility issues. Uh, why do women have problems with fertility in general? I don't think that you can like just say a blanket reason for every single person because it's typically these underlying GYN issues, which aren't addressed, which cause the fertility issue. You know what I mean? So if sure. somebody has poor egg quality, they're going to have difficulties. If somebody has difficulty with ovulation, they're going to have difficulties. If somebody's got endometriosis, they're going to have difficulties. Chronic infections or history of STD, STDs from prior partners, um, then they might have problems with their tubes. So there's lots of different causes. When somebody comes to me with infertility, we look for all of those different causes and see what there is that we can address. Okay. Is there a pretty high success rate in that? Or, um, you know, know, what's the experience that women have when they're, you know, they're, they're trying to get pregnant, but they can't, uh, and then they, they come to you. Is it, is it pretty successful? It is, it is. And and, and I'm not the only person who's doing this, you know, all over the world, there are uh, physicians who are trained in napro technology and they're all kind of doing the same thing. And outside of napro technology, there are integrative medicine doctors, there are Chinese herbalists, there are Chinese acupuncturists, and they're all looking for the same sort of treatment modality, right? We're all looking to find what is the underlying issue and trying to address those underlying issues. And quite often, you know, women are given this unexplained infertility sort of diagnosis and they come to one of us and then we do our thorough workup and we find several things that can be addressed. Another thing is oftentimes, you know, infertility isn't just with the woman, right? I mean, it's the man and the woman combined. And at least, you know, 30 to 50% of the time, the man has something to do with it as well. And you have to realize that even when a semen analysis is done, it's typically interpreted with the viewpoint of IVF. And so even if they say, hey, your semen analysis is completely normal, in actuality, if you're trying to conceive outside of IVF, it may not be adequate. And so there are still improvements that can be made. You know, guys can do things to superpower their sperm with supplements and with, you know, different uh, lifestyle changes. And there's even some like cooling blocks and things like that that they can use to drastically change the quality of their sperm and the quantity. So it's, it's really awesome when you actually look at everything, the number of places that you can really make an impact with a couple. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) A cooling block. Yeah. I wonder what that is. I I interviewed a guy who, uh, was big into these underwears that would, that would basically have little ice packs for your balls. Is is it something like that? (laughs) So, 
Well, it's, it's kind of similar, but it doesn't sound as uncomfortable as that. Um, this is the product is called the underdog and it is a small wedge and you, because typically what happens is a man's scrotum is built in such a way that when they're hot, then it will fall. And when they're cold, it will retract, right? So that it maintains the proper temperature for the testicles. But if you think about it, the majority of men spend the majority of their time sitting down, either driving or sitting on the couch or sitting at their desk working on the computer, right? Mm -hmm. So when they're seated, that scrotum doesn't have the ability to move as easily. And so this company has created this, like, I'm sure it's really cheap to produce, but it's basically like just a wedge, which is an ice block. And you keep it in the freezer and then you put it into this um, like soft sponge thing that makes it much more comfortable. And just when you're driving or when you're sitting at the computer or when you're watching TV or whatever, you just slide it under yourself to cool the area. And there have been studies that have been shown when you have a rise in temperature of even two degrees above what is normal for the testicles, it can drastically decrease your morphology and cause issues with the motility of the sperm. So just by cooling, then you can drastically improve these factors as well. Sounds delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the guys who use it say that it's not as bad as it sounds. Mm, yes, <laughs> but I'm considering sure. everything their wives are going through, <laughs> I think they can stick a cooling block underneath themselves. That's right. They really can't complain. You know what could they say, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay. So small sacrifices. So one of the things I thought would be cool to do is to kind of go through a neighbor technology intro. Like, you know, if somebody was coming to see you and you were going to put them through this system, can we go through the steps? Like what they're going to have to keep track of, you know, what they can expect, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's assume that, um, you and your wife are here and you guys are trying to deal with fertility and she is somebody who has uh, periods that happen like every 26 days or something like that, right? So, or maybe she has irregular cycles where one month is 26, next month it's 30 days or whatever. So the first thing that I would tell her is, okay, what we need to do is to do some studies which will show us everything that we can possibly learn about your body and how it works. And in order to do that, I want you to do some charting. So what that means is every day when you go to the bathroom, I want you to fold white tissue and wipe yourself before and after urination, before and after a bowel movement, before you jump in the shower, before you go to sleep at night. And you're just going to pay attention to what is on that tissue. And at the end of the night, you're going to chart it. So when you're bleeding, you're going to write down at the end of the day, you know, was my bleeding heavy? Was it moderate? Was it light? Was it very light or spotting? And if it was very light or spotting, was it brown or was it red? Simply because all of those things mean something. If you have spotting before your period, it means something. If you have spotting after your period, it means something. If you have spotting in the middle of the cycle, it means something different. So we really need to get all of that information. And then starting at the point at the end of your period until your next period, you're just going to be paying attention to see if there's any mucus present or anything else that's different, any abnormal discharge. So what you'll typically see is you have your bleeding and then it might lead to some spotting. Then you'll have some dry days with absolutely nothing. And then 
all of a sudden you'll start to see when you wipe yourself, the sensation will change from being dry when your hand's kind of stopping along the way to like a lubricated sensation, like you're wiping an egg off the table. So then you really know you need to pay attention and keep looking at that tissue to see if there's anything shiny there. If there's anything shiny, you want to touch it and see if it stretches at all. If it stretches for like a centimeter or two centimeters or three centimeters, at the end of the night, you just want to document what was the biggest stretch that you had. So if it was like stretching a centimeter twice and then all of a sudden it stretched two centimeters, you would just document that two centimeter stretch. And like that, you're just going to keep going. And what you'll notice is that initially it'll just be shiny, then it'll be a little bit of a stretch, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, and then all of a sudden it'll be gone. So that last day of stretch, we really need to make sure we we put that down for sure because that is what we call the peak day. And when you identify that peak day, that means you're going to ovulate either three days before or three days after that day. And then you keep charting until you get to the end of the month. And typically it's just dry days until the end of the period. And then you have your period again. So I want you to kind of every night before you go to bed, just document what you've seen. You don't have to write anything down during the day or anything like that, but just think back to what was my most fertile sign and put that down for us. In the first cycle that you're going to be charting and everything else, On day three of your period, we're going to do a whole bunch of blood tests and we're going to check for polycystic ovarian syndrome. We're going to check for adrenal dysfunction. We're going to check for thyroid dysfunction. And I also want you, while you're charting, when you start to see that mucus show up or that shiny uh, discharge show up, let us know at that time, because we're going to start putting in labs to check estrogen and progesterone all the way through the cycle. And we'll email you all the labs and then you can just print it out and go get them done. And then at the end of the month, then you're going to come back and we'll go over all of these labs. The last thing is we want to get an ultrasound, but the timing of the ultrasound is really important. So I want you to get the ultrasound on day five to seven of the cycle when your lining is at its thinnest and your ovaries are at their quietest. And that way we'll know exactly what is normal So if your lining appears thicker, we'll know that that thickness in the lining is abnormal. Or if you have cysts on the ovaries, we'll know that you have problems with ovulation. And that's basically the initial workup. And then we go, once we have all of that information, we'll go from there. We also obviously do like a full history, you know, what's your past medical history? What medications are you taking? you know, what's your social history and surgeries that you've had done and all of those things as well. And we do a physical exam to see if there's any signs or symptoms of anything in particular. Okay. And do you use estrogen or progesterone to manipulate the cycle? So if somebody hasn't had a period for months, then I would give like 10 days of progesterone for them to take at bedtime just to bring on a period And then using that period as kind of the start of a cycle, then I would get them to do all that testing that I was talking about. Okay. You've actually mentioned progesterone, I think, a few times on your Twitter. Can you talk about that hormone and, and what you think about it and its importance? Yeah. Progesterone is really, really important for people. So progesterone comes from... After you have ovulated you're, and you've released the egg, what's left behind is the corpus luteum cyst. And this cyst's job is to pump out estrogen and progesterone. And the progesterone, you can think of it as the, 
progesterone is the glue that holds up the building blocks of the estrogen. So imagine estrogen is the bricks and progesterone is the cement and you're building this wall, right? And so without progesterone, that lining will kind of shed and it won't stay in place long enough. So if you have inadequate progesterone, you're going to have a shorter phase after ovulation because it can't sustain the lining. Uh, if you have a lack of progesterone, it also impacts your mood. So people that have low progesterone tend to have really bad PMS. You can also have PMS if your estrogen is really high, but often that's because high levels of estrogen will push down progesterone. Um, progesterone is also super important for babies. So if you are you know, trying to conceive a pregnancy or if you have conceived a pregnancy, and your progesterone initially is great, but then all of a sudden it falls off, your risk of miscarriage goes through the roof. Similar for people that have preterm deliveries, oftentimes it's because they have a lack of progesterone. So they get up to a certain point in their pregnancy and all of a sudden they're not making enough progesterone. So they start having contractions and whatnot and go into preterm labor. That's just one of the causes of it. Um, what do you think about estrogen? Because usually estrogen kind of gets a bad rap uh, from how much we're estrogen to, is right? also no estrogen is also very important. And you know, estrogen you have to have estrogen a rise and fall in estrogen in order to trigger an ovulation, and then you have to have estrogen. Like I said, is the building block. So without estrogen, your lining would be too thin. You'd have hot flashes. I think the issue with estrogen is you don't want to just with estrogen and progesterone, you don't want to just randomly give it to everybody. And the timing of it is very important as well. So especially with progesterone, if you give someone progesterone prior to ovulation, what you're going to be doing is shutting down ovulation. You can give someone estrogen throughout a cycle, but when you have too much estrogen, then you're putting yourself at risk for cancer because, you know, certain cancers will feed off of estrogen. So increased risk of breast cancer, increased risk of ovarian, not ovarian, but uterine cancer, the endometrial lining. Um, so I'm always very hesitant to give, you know, big doses of estrogen. Um, and even with the progesterone, when I do give it, I typically will be checking a monthly level to make sure that we have the right dose. And I will adjust the dose based on those levels. Okay. What do you think of HRT for postmenopausal women? I honestly try and stay away from it because I feel like um, many of the symptoms that they have, you can address with really natural things. Like if somebody comes to me with vaginal dryness, there are some really amazing vaginal creams that a person can use which completely heal that vaginal dryness without using estrogen. If somebody has hot flashes, I can give them different seed specimens and ask them to use those instead, which are much more natural and less likely to cause issues with breast cancer and endometrial cancer. So I always try to leave the um, hormone replacement therapy with estrogen and progesterone for the very, very last thing when it comes to my postmenopausal patients. Gotcha. One, uh, one of the things I forgot to ask you about was weight gain. Do women come to you for weight gain? And if so, what, uh, how do you treat it? I'm not a weight loss specialist, but anytime anybody comes in and they have issues with weight, I mean, the first thing I do is I talk to them about, you know, well, what exactly are you eating and what is your diet and exercise regimen. And then I look for thyroid abnormalities in that person. 
Um, and I, you know, advise them on different types of eating. Like I always advise people about the plant-based diet. I advise people about doing a, if they're going to eat carbs to make sure that it's not like the white carbs and to choose a whole wheat kind of carb instead. Mm. So, so one of the things I'm curious about, and this probably isn't just apply to women, but what is the connection, you know, from your experience, have you seen a connection between autoimmune conditions and, you know, some of these hormones like progesterone or estrogen? I mean, the autoimmune conditions that I usually run across are people that have things having to do with their thyroid. So, you know, the Hashimoto's thyroiditis is one aspect of it. People that have um, issues with like Crohn's disease and things like that also. I, I really do believe that everything is connected. So I have no doubt that there is an impact on the estrogen and progesterone with autoimmune as well. But off the top of my head, I can't uh, think of something specific at the moment. Okay. You mentioned supplements earlier, but do you want to add anything onto that? I, we kind of talked about it earlier and it's, it's kind of one of those things. Like I think the key things are making sure that you are checking, you know, you can always check levels for vitamin D. You can check levels for, you know, your B's, um, you can check and see, there are certain supplements that like, obviously for auto, not autoimmune, but for immunity, like you want, if you're walking through the pandemic and you want to try and take supplements to help prevent COVID or whatever, you know, vitamin C is awesome. Vitamin D, you want to make sure you have adequate levels. Um, zinc, things like that are always a good choice. And for women's health, you always want to look at egg health supplements because the quality of the eggs really impacts the hormones and those hormones impact the bleeding patterns and everything else. Okay. Uh, is there any health advice or supplements that may be popular that you think women should stay away from? I think the one that is super popular for women that have irregular cycles is Vitex. And Vitex is not a bad thing if you're taking it at the right time. But um, Vitex, the way it works is it actually lowers prolactin levels. And if you have elevated prolactin levels, that's great. But if you have normal prolactin levels, you could be causing more problems mm -hmm. because when you lower your prolactin levels, it causes you to ovulate earlier with an immature egg. And that can lead to more hormonal dysfunction. Gotcha. Well, I'm pretty much out of questions here. Is there anything else you wanted to throw in before we get to your website and how people can work with you? Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think we've covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> we did cover a lot. So yeah, what is your website? And if people want to try this uh, Nader technology or Naper technology, sorry, how, how would they go about doing it? So uh, my website is naturalwomenshealth.com. And when you go to the website, um, if you live in Pennsylvania, I can see you in my office or I can do a telemed appointment for you and we can work with your insurance and all that sort of stuff. If you live outside of Pennsylvania, the options that I have to work with me is through coaching and through courses. So if you go through my website, I have a fertility solved course for people who are dealing with fertility challenges and a superpower your sperm course for the men. And I have coaching appointments where we can talk about anything. So if you have, you know, PMS symptoms, or if you have irregular cycles, or if you have PCOS or endometriosis and you want to talk, we can do all of that as well, just through a normal coaching appointment. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Rubero. Appreciate you coming on. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me and uh, best of luck to you with everything. Really great information there from Dr. Ruberu on her practice and NAPRO technology that I, I don't think many women are that familiar with. So my main takeaway from this interview was that many of the OBGYN treatments that are used like birth control or hormone replacement therapy, HRT, they're just not as effective as what she can do with the tools that she has available. And I'm, I'm totally on board with that. You know, I always find treatments prescribed by most doctors to be the equivalent of like using a sledgehammer to kill a housefly. It may work, but it often goes way overboard and creates other problems. So this NAPRO technology, it sounds subtle. It sounds targeted in a way that has a real chance of helping without causing side effects and unintended consequences. And how about that bit she said about birth control and how its backup mechanism is to cause miscarriages? Man, there is just something off about there. that. There's something wrong. And it's another good reason to avoid the stuff. So I will have her information in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I will see you again in two weeks. Be well.